Everybody be cool. You be cool. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Is this a dream? Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I thought not. If it were, they'd be wrong. Come with me if you want to live. I'm Catherine, and today I'm joined by our Head of Education, Lucy Brett, to discuss the film Labyrinth. Welcome back, Lucy. Hi, Catherine. Now, we received a question from one of our followers on Twitter about why Zootropolis, the very recent film, is rated PG, when Labyrinth, which was released in 1986, is rated U. Now, we have a case study about Labyrinth on the website, but today, Lucy, we'll talk about both films and also some other kids' films that are rated at U and PG that contain similar issues. Now, it's always really tricky to compare two films like for like, especially when they come from quite different decades and they're made in quite a different style. So shall we start with why Labyrinth is rated U and talk a bit more about that film? Yeah, I think that that would be a really good idea. And it might also be worth just taking a few seconds to think about the U category itself. We've mentioned before on various of these podcasts that U was one of the first certificates, so it was available and films were passed it as early as 1913. Because the certificate's been around so long, there have been various points in history where it has functioned in a different way depending on what other certificates were available at the time. So sometimes U has been particularly squeaky clean, so almost no issues at all were passed there, and those were works that had nothing in them likely to sort of even challenge quite young viewers. At other points in history, more robust films have been passed there, perhaps because there's been more of an appetite for those sorts of films, or indeed because the examiners didn't have a huge suite of certificates to choose from for children's films, which brings us quite neatly onto Labyrinth. So, Lucy, when Labyrinth came into the BBFC in 1986, was it quite a straightforward U decision for examiners? Well, it's interesting because fans of Jim Henson, um, the director of the film, and of course the genius behind the Muppets will know that he has another connection with the sort of U and PG categories in that The Dark Crystal was one of the very first PGs ever passed by the board because it came out in 1982. Um, With this film, with Labyrinth, um, the reports on record actually suggest that the company anticipated a PG for the film, so rather thought that's where it would be passed. However, when the examiners watched it, they looked at various issues, including uh, comet mitigation, which we've talked about on the on the podcast before, and the puppeteering and the sort of general uh, sense of adventure in the film, and they recommended a U. However, the decision was also discussed further up. So, for example, they suggested that perhaps a second team would be useful. But in the end, James Furman, who was the BBFC director at the time, felt the U contained the film. And we've got some nice sort of quotes and um, descriptions from those original reports. So while the creatures in the Dark Crystal were previously described as um, frightening and monster-like, and there was a lot made in that PG decision of the Dark Crystal about how scary it was, um, Labyrinth was definitely interpreted in a much more comic, um, child-friendly tradition. So we have a lot of um, reference to the debrief of the humour and explanation in Labyrinth, making it uh, a more suitable film at you. There's also um, references to the sequences of threat and how quite quickly the suspense becomes excitement. Um, And that's something we do think about even today when we're making decisions at the lower categories. You know, how 
is the way something like a character in, is being in, in uh, threat or danger, how the way that's shown might work for a child audience. Will they be terrified on that character's behalf or will they be looking for the next gag or the next exciting moment? And um, re-watching Labyrinth, of course, before this podcast, it's it's so interesting to see things that were perhaps quite impactful when you were little and, and work in different ways. So I found some things perhaps more sinister as a grown-up than I did when I watched it at the time when um, there's these sort of endlessly comic and sweet characters like Ludo who's very quickly saved and then is very protective but also has lots of comic repeated lines for the character of Sarah. Definitely, and there's some sequences where you can see patterns emerging where you think Sarah's in danger and you see sort of kind of scary new or sinister monsters or goblins or whatever, but then very quickly she kind of breaks through their kind of scary outer shell and they they interrelate with her in quite a comic way. Absolutely, and it kind of put me in mind... um, of other use from around the sort of preceding decade to that, like the sort of early Star Wars films, for example, where there is that sense of adventure and quest and excitement. And of course, the other thing that Labyrinth does is it sort of really focuses on Sarah's journey and her her realisation really quite quickly that her attitude of jealousy and anger towards her baby brother was not appropriate and she actually wants to connect with him. And so it's kind of got a real feel-good ending and um, we wouldn't want to do spoilers for younger listeners or indeed older listeners that haven't seen the entire film but even the very last scenes have a very strong sense of messages about friends working together and being there for each other and the sort of safety of our imagination and childhood. The other interesting thing about the reports is they refer to the fact that the Muppet type creatures are quite familiar to children but also to the fact that some scenes sound worse when they're described and of course back then there wasn't insight written for films but there is now and that's something we have to deal with because sometimes you can describe a scene such as the scene in Labyrinth where Sarah and Hoggle, a little goblin-y fairy character, she's hanging around with a chase by this enormous um, drill-like thing covered in blades and it sounds, as the examiners put, very worrying when when you describe it but as they add, it's acceptable for you within the context of a children's fantasy and set against the fearlessness of the Alice like heroine which is a lovely phrase, the Alice like heroine and really I think sums up perhaps what is the reassuring element about Labyrinth that at the time suggested the U. So to compare Labyrinth with Zootropolis, which is rated PG but contains some quite similar issues to Labyrinth, in particular mild threat, can you explain a bit about why Zootropolis tipped into the PG category rather than the U? Um, yes, I can. I mean, and it's partly is to do with those words, mild threat, which of course can cover a spectrum of things. Uh, there's mild threat in Labyrinth, but it's sort of mild and, and cocooned in comedy. And although there's mild threat in Zootropolis, which also has no doubt a lot of comic elements for people who've seen it, um, there are also some moments of more fearsome threat. And um, I was... Uh, checking through through watching it again and thinking about reactions of audiences that I've seen react in the cinema. And Zootropolis has some really quite sort of visceral um, scares, even though it's a, clearly a sort of very good-natured children's film with a lot of appeal and quite a sort of lower-end PG, really. Um, what, what One doesn't want to ruin a film, especially a modern film, but one of the 
issues in it is that there are characters who are presented in one way who are then revealed to sometimes behave in another, which might also be unsettling for that sort of four-year-old that we're thinking about at you, someone who's a preschooler and very, very young, four, five, six, that sort of thing. Whereas once a film is PG, parents do know, and do kids themselves when you ask them, that it's for that sort of slightly older audience and or they're they're definitely prepared for it to be a little bit tougher. But um, it's elements which are perhaps more horror-like than you would normally expect these days in a children's animation that would take it to PG. They're very mild uh, compared to things you'd get in horror at 12A and 15, of course, but things like characters with glowing eyes, snarling, um, and uh, and as I say, these sort of jump moments where characters pounce on others and that sort of thing, because it's a film that's about animals um, in a new sort of utopian society where they live and about some animals turning feral or wild, so going back to their existing natures and therefore attacking the sort of sweet animals that were previously their friends and that have been presented up to this point to the audience as these cute little animal characters that we've come to know and like. Yeah, I remember when I was watching the film, quite quickly after the film begins, there are some altercations between characters that come on quite quickly and you don't really expect so when a small rabbit stands up to a bigger animal and ends up getting scratched in the face. And I didn't really think it was going to go that far um, myself. And then there's another scene a bit later on in the film where where the small rabbit character is really questioning the character and integrity of, of another animal that she encounters. And the fact that this other animal is using its, its child as a kind of uh, distraction technique um, when they want to buy something in a shop. And it's I, I think that's quite complex, especially for younger viewers. And I think it might... I can understand why it wasn't well-placed at you. Yes, and I think, I mean, uh, just so to give a little bit of background, I realise some flavour for people listening who haven't perhaps seen Zootropolis yet. It's about an animal in the police force in in this in this futuristic, fantastical world. Um, but it's it's it, you mustn't we, we mustn't underestimate the impact of these sort of sometimes quite nice. Uh, characters sort of jumping and swishing and chasing and there's also quite an intense uh, chase at kind of a pivotal moment in the first parts of the film where the rabbit and her sort of uh, sidekick who's a sort of slightly crafty criminal dubious character being chased through a sort of landscape in the dark and it goes on for quite a while so it's what we would talk about being sort of continued or slightly sustained I mean it's not through the whole film for sure there's lots of comic moments but those sorts of sequences do ramp up and if you think about what a cinema's like what the surround sound is like these days and how a very young child might react to that that would that would be why based on our current guidelines and understanding of what parents think suitable that we would place some work like that at PG. Yeah, I definitely think the energy of Zootropolis is much more intense and fast-paced than Labyrinth, which is, has got quite a sort of an easier pace, a bit slower and a bit more rhythmic, and kind of you can imagine children being able to grasp that a bit more easily than Zootropolis seems much quicker. I mean, Zootropolis is also in the spirit of lots of um, contemporary animations, which are very impressive. It's, it's drawing on slightly more grown-up influences along with its children's influences. So, you know, I've heard it compared thematically 
albeit on a much, much lower child-friendly level, to things like Chinatown. I mean, it's looking at the sort of dark side of nature and those sorts of things. And whereas although Labyrinth is also looking at sort of difficult things like uh, Sarah's loyalty or lack of loyalty to her baby brother and her being lost and being sort of tormented and teased by the Goblin King... um, it perhaps is that's perhaps um, drawing on more sort of fable, childy influences and fairy stories than something like Zootropolis, which has got quite a lot of sass in it. You know, it's quite interesting film with lots of sort of quite clever jokes, which I think a PG audience understand. But even jokes about things like discrimination, um, so it's it's really playing with some quite difficult ideas that might be a bit challenging for the younger year audience. Definitely. And um, we've classified a number of films across you and PG recently that have been quite high-profile films. Ones that spring to mind are films like Finding Dory, which um, was classified you for infrequent mild threat, and also The Secret Life of Pets, which was classified you for mild action and rude humour. But then conversely, we had the BFG come in, and that that went out at PG. As did Pete Stragon as well quite recently. So there's, it's quite an interesting crop, those four films, I thought, because, I mean, it shows you that when we're explaining things clearly to the public, you know, we use a suite of words that over time we have developed and we know the public understand. We know that due to our research and our sort of constant work with children and adults and the public, that, that the word threat is well understood and better understood than words like peril and horror because it allows the threat allows us to be prescriptive and to explain how, how a character is in danger or how they're reacting and what the scariness really means. So when we say all those films have some mild threat, they really do play out in quite different ways. So something like The Secret Life of Pets is really quite a lot more raucous and um, old school cartoony and funny I think um, in, a, in a way that really dissipates a lot of the threat um, something like Finding Dory I thought very impressively looked at this idea of a character that is very lost and something that could potentially be a sort of very overwhelmingly upsetting idea that she's trying to find her parents and her memory isn't even strong enough or, or she's not capable of recalling the details she needs to do that. And there are these endless moments where I think perhaps more the adult audience than the child audience, to be fair, is worried she will never have any sense of her home and belonging. Um, but Funny Dory is doing that in such a gentle way. Dory herself rarely dwells on more negative or upsetting yeah, emotions. she's a very resilient character. Yeah, she's like a definition of resilience. Um, often when we're talking with primary school children, when we go and do presentations and we talk about the Finding Dory, children will often recognise that it's Dory's presence that reduces the threat in a film like that because she's not scared of the sharks and it's counterbalanced by sort of Marlin's neurosis and, and fear through it. So how do films like Finding Dory and The Secret Life of Pets compare to the BFG? Well, the BFT is a, a really interesting example because obviously it's based on source material that will be sort of hugely popular with that older audience. And though it's a mild PG, it was elements like uh, a sequence where it looks like she's going to fall into a giant's mouth, where the BFG was being teased and where um, there were sequences of sort of disease or, or scariness that went on for a while that sort of really pushed pushed it into PG, though as I said and we often say on here, there are sort of milder NPGs and stronger NPGs something like Pete's Dragon when has a lot of very sort of comic moments with the big dragon when he's seen, which actually are reminiscent of those sorts of Jim Henson films and things like that, and of course it's a remake but um, 
the threat in Pete's Dragon is real, just as it is real to be frightened of monsters in the dark. It's the same with Pete's Dragon. The scariness of Pete's Dragon and the upset in it isn't the sort of mild rough and tumble with the dragon, but it is an opening scene where we see a very young character involved in, um, it's entirely implied, but involved in a car crash and the death of significant people for that child. We don't see very much on screen at all, but the impact is substantive enough to suggest that PG is better, that this isn't very, very mild threat and that that sequence itself doesn't have a lot of comedy. But sometimes when you've got quite a bold sequence like that, that will suggest a category from the get go. So, you know, when we talked about it, we talk about occasional scenes of mild threat. Um, and we do note in our insight, which is um, we also note that the theme of loss in something like Peace Dragon is explored in a really sensitive way. I mean, um, so sensitive that I think sort of the children that I saw it with were crying less than I was. <laughs> <laughs> that always seems to happen, doesn't it? It does. So I hope that's explained the difference um, between films at U and films at PG, because I think sometimes that's overlooked a little bit and people tend to be more interested about 12, 15 and 18 and sort of lump U and PG together, when actually, when you, you dig underneath the surface, they're really interesting um, things to discuss. I, so, I, I totally think so, because I think um, when I go to schools, I think they sort of often imagine the hardest thing to do is to classify something very strong. And I know we've talked about several extremely strong films in these podcasts over the last few years, and films at 15 and 18, and issues like gore and blood and strong violence and strong language and, and all these sorts of things. But um, when we're asked, and I'm sure you are too, people work at the BBC are frequently asked what's the hardest decisions to make. Actually, you know, it isn't always, am I going to put this horror film at 15 or 18? Sometimes it's, how is the film going to make an audience feel if that audience is four? How is this film going to make an audience feel if that audience is eight? And sometimes that is the most important thing we're doing because we're making sure that there's enough information for parents and that children themselves, who, who very well understand the categories, can make the right decisions for their own viewing. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lucy. No worries. Now remember, if you've got an idea for something you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, you can contact us using the feedback form on the podcast page. You can also email us on podcast at bbfc.co.uk or you can tweet us at bbfc.